The title of this morning's message, it's just so simple. It's just so simple and reflective of this day that we remember right now, this event, and it is simply this, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. How often we need to be remembered of that, reminded of that in our daily life. Christ died for us, taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. And we're in the middle of a Easter series called Reconciled. That is God making a way for us to be brought into a right relationship with him. And this is the second message of that. And if you do not have a Bible with you, uh, we want to make sure you have a copy of God's word in your hand. So please put your hand up and our ushers are coming up right now and they want to put one in your lap so you can continue to follow along. You're going to want to follow along. Put your hands up nice and high. There you go, nice and high. Good stuff. And we will put a Bible in front of you so you can continue to track with us. And if you do not have a Bible at your home, then please take that as a gift from us. We want to give that to you so you can continue to study God's word on your own and meet him each day through it. And as you're turning there to Romans chapter 5, I have a question for you, and it's this. What comes into your mind when you hear these three words? Okay, three words. Ready? I love you. What sort of things conjure up in your mind when you hear those words? We hear it all the time, right? We hear it all over the place in the world today. I love you. I mean, for some of us, maybe when we hear those words, we think of marriage or we think of Valentine's Day or chocolates or flowers or someone serving us or us maybe getting to serve someone else. Maybe having a family, getting you know, a spouse. But how about this image? Jesus Christ hanging on a cross for you, bruised, broken, bleeding, and dead. Does that make your list? When you hear those words, I love you. Not likely. But here's the thing. That is the greatest picture of love that there is. And you say, well, wait, how can you say that? Well, I will remind you of this. As one commentator puts it, he goes, the motivating force behind the death of Christ for sinners is the love of God. God loved, and so Christ died. God loved, and so Christ died. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, wait, 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 that, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. How can that be a loving thing, seeing someone crushed and crucified on a cross while being mocked and spit on and left completely alone? I mean, that's the, I don't know about you, Ray, but that's the farthest thing from love in my mind. I mean, why would God do something like this? Why would God do something like this? Really, love? That's not the pictures that we see all around us. That's not what I've come to know. Why would he do this? And the answer is this. Ready, ready, ready? He did this out of love for you and for me. We just sang about it. Over and over again. God's love compelled him to send his son. And what we will see clearly here from Romans 5 is that there are two life-altering, and I don't say that lightly, honestly. 
Okay, I don't say that lightly. These are two life-altering truths that you must believe if you are to embrace the love of Jesus Christ for you and live in the power of what his death was meant to give us. They are truly life-altering truths. Press in a little more, lean in, get your pens ready, let's go. Because first off, we must believe, first truth is this, we must believe that Christ loves you and died for you, here it is, ready? Because you cannot save yourself. This is the first truth we have to believe And ultimately, the one we struggle with the most every day. You cannot save yourself. Look at verses 6 to 8 of Romans 5. Paul says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. See, in writing this letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ Jesus had to die for you. He had to die for me because there is no way that you could ever save yourself. And he shows us two reasons for this. Did you catch them? Look at verse 6. First one, right out of the gate. For while we were still, say it all together, weak. While we were still weak. The Greek word for weak there means, ready? And we don't like to talk this way today, do we? We just don't like to say that we're weak. We live in a society that's like, you're the best. Everyone gets a trophy. You can't lose. Just believe and you'll get your goals. That's a lie. Because here's the reality to this. This word weak right here in the Greek means powerless, frail, helpless, and lacking the necessary resources. That's pretty strong. It's pretty strong language. Powerless, frail, helpless, and lacking necessary resources. This means, here's what it means, loved ones. This means that we are spiritually dead and incapable of doing anything to help ourselves to get into a right relationship with God. We don't like to hear that today, do we? I like to hear, if you just try harder, if you just give a little more money, if you just dress a certain way, if you just do certain things, then God's going to be pleased with you. But no matter how hard we try, how much money we make, how many good deeds we do, the truth is this, loved ones, none of these will ever, ever be able to save us from our sin and bring us into a right relationship with him. You know where I fall? You know where I fall into this most easily? It hit me in parenting with my kids. I feel like I want my, my children to, if they can act, just, hey guys, if they can act a certain way and, and just, you know, trust the Lord and do these things and see them grow up to be good moral men. Like I fall into this all the time and I need to repent of that. Those are good things, wanting to see your kids saved. But, but at the same time, I can so often use me as a parent to try to validate myself before the Lord. And it's just a lie. It's just bondage. What is it for you? What is it for you? Because we have to be completely dependent on Jesus Christ to do the saving work for us. Because while we were weak, frail, helpless... 
We couldn't save ourselves. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Two reasons why we can't save ourselves. Number one, we're weak. But number two, you see it in verse, back half of verse six and start of seven. For while we were weak, at the right time, that's encouraging, Christ died for the, ready, ungodly. Ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. See, Paul goes on to say this, that Christ died while we were ungodly. The Greek word for ungodly there means wicked and sinful. So it wasn't bad enough that we were already weak and incapable of saving ourselves. Now, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. We are wicked and we are sinful. Again, not a popular message in the culture today, right? It's not, not very popular. But while we were ungodly, wicked, and sinful, because here's the reality, this is us without Jesus Christ. This is us without Jesus Christ. Absolute truth right there. Paul goes on to say here that people will barely, notice this in verse 7, he says, uh, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. He goes on to say there, people will barely even consider dying for a good or upright person. Right? Someone who's doing all the right things or saying all the right things. We'll maybe scarcely think about giving our lives for that person, let alone Get this, dying for someone that was their enemy and living wickedly against them or others. We'll barely give our lives for someone doing all the right things. And then Jesus says, I came at you when you were my enemy. I came after you. I went to the cross for you, for the ungodly when we were wicked and we were sinful. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree, loved ones? I love how, how the Bible, Scripture, is so relevant to our lives. Anyone who says the Bible isn't relevant just hasn't read it. Because wouldn't you agree that it's so much easier to help people who are helping us? They did this for me. The old, the old saying, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Isn't that not the culture that we live in right now? Do this for me, I'll do it for you. He says, one will scarcely die for someone who's living the right way and doing all the right things. And whether we realize it or not, this is you and me in our relationship with God without putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Weak and ungodly and sinful and wicked. That is us. And our pride, our pride, maybe even right now for some of you, your pride is like, that's not me. That's not me. I'm a good person. I'm just, who, who is the Bible to tell me that I'm wicked and sinful without Jesus Christ? But without putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is exactly what we are. We are living sinfully and wickedly against him as his enemy. We need to stop right here for a moment and really recognize what this means. You see, whether we admit it or not, whether we admit it or not, our biggest problem is not our government. It's not. Here in Ottawa, that takes on a more heightened context. Not how the economy is doing. How's your finances? How's your investment? Well, if I just had more money than these problems, it's not it. Our biggest problem is not what other people do or say to us. Or anything else that we try to blame it on to make ourselves feel better. The reality is this, the biggest issue we have by far, and we cannot do anything about, 
is that there are fatal consequences for our sin before a holy God. There are fatal, again, not overstating, fatal consequences of our sin before a holy God. And the worst part is we cannot do anything about them on our own to make it right. We are weak and ungodly without him. Because why? God has a holy standard and it's perfection. He cannot be in the presence of sin and we can never be perfect on this side of eternity without him. This is one problem that we cannot give an answer to. Can't give an answer to this on our own. Can't think it up. Oh, oh, ready for this? Here's the good news. But then there are the two most beautiful and life-changing words that come in and change everything in this text. You see them in verse 8? Look at this. Here we go. But God. Circle those. Those are key. Everything hinges on that. But God. Look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus Christ, you know what I love? Jesus Christ didn't wait until a time when we would be able to clean ourselves up or prove ourselves worthy to be loved by him. Have you ever fallen into that? Even believers, we fall into this all the time where we feel like we have to be worthy If I just do certain things and if I just accomplish certain things, then God's going to be more pleased with me. But Jesus Christ didn't wait till a time when we'd be able to clean ourselves up or prove ourselves worthy to be loved by him. Instead, notice back in verse 6, it says he came at the right time. He came at the right time while we were the most undesirable, the most ungodly, the most weak in our sin, and he chose to meet us there and die for us on that cross and pay the full penalty for our sin that we deserved, all because of his incredible love for us. What does that do for you this morning, loved ones? He came right there. He says, you don't have to have it all together. I love you. I know you're weak. You are my enemy right now, but my love is greater than that. And I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. So you can be free from that slavery for all time. That is amazing grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. Himself. And you notice there in verse 8, where it says, but God shows his love for us. You know that Greek word for love there is this, agape. Agape is God's deep and intimate affection for us. His deep and intimate affection for us that isn't dependent on our performance or keeping up with the standard, like this world's love. You know, In the world we hear, as long as you keep up performing to the standard we want you to have, then we'll love you. We'll love you. As long as you keep performing, we'll love you. You'll have our favor. But agape love, God's love, is not like that. It's never dependent on our performance. It's dependent on his character. He is love. 
So it's time out right there. How about you? How about me? How many of us here right now are trying to save ourselves before the Lord? Maybe you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're like, well, I'm sure I'm a good person and God's going to you know, put a few check marks in my account for that when I stand before him one day and, and that's got to count for something. Mm, no. And maybe even us, for some of us as believers here, are we trying to still save ourselves and prove ourselves to God by how we do at certain things? Maybe even by how many times we come to church in a year or read our Bible each week. Are we trying to save ourselves before the Lord in our weakness and sinfulness through our efforts, good deeds, status, possessions, or even coming to church? Are you? Am I? I can fall into that so easily. So easily. And how many here are trying to clean ourselves up before coming to God and not admitting that we are sinful and weak without him? Or maybe we're here today, right now, doubting God's love. God's love for us. Both Christians and non-Christians do that. As Christians, we can so easily doubt God's love for us. We receive him as our savior, and we're just walking in the fear, anxiety, and crippling doubt that comes from, well, will God still love me if this happens? If this doesn't go well? The answer is yes. Agape came for you. He came for you. I love this quote by the great Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks, one of my favorite preachers. He says this, Our sins are debts that none can pay but Christ. It is not our tears but his blood. It is not our sighs but his sufferings that can ever overcome our sins. Christ must pay all or we are prisoners forever. Do you believe that this morning? Our pride will rear its head and say, no way, no way. It's true. God says it's true. He's the authority. And Jesus Christ came and died knowing full well that you and I could never save ourselves. He came when we were most undesirable and does does not love us because of how lovable we are. Get this, but how loving he is. He doesn't love us because of our lovability. He loves us because he is love himself. Oh, there's freedom in that today, loved ones. And the first truth we must believe if we are to live in the power of Christ's death for us is this. We cannot save ourselves. And this is where everything starts. But the greatest news, oh, here it goes. It just gets better. The greatest news is that God just doesn't stop there in showing us how much we need him. But he also calls you to believe that Christ loves you and died for you. Why? Our final point today is this, to reconcile you to himself. To reconcile you to himself. Look at verses 9 to 11. Since therefore, so there's the therefore statement. So based on what we've just heard, here's the implications for that. Okay? Whenever you see therefore, clue into what was just said before it. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Everyone say, that's good news. 
That's good news. In fact, actually, loved ones, uh, spoiler alert, that is the greatest truth of all time. You see that reconciled. We see there in verses 10 and 11, he mentions that word reconciled, and that's the name of our series here. And what does that mean? Brought into a right relationship with God. All hostility from one enemy against God removed. All of it. Not a trace left. He's not thinking about, yeah, well, you know what? There's still this that you did. Gone. Gone. All hostility removed. He has done this by making, he's reconciled us to himself by making a way first off, here it is, through our salvation. Through our salvation. Look at verses 9b and 10, the back half of 9 and 10. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, here we go, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, Jesus Christ bore the full fury of God's wrath against sin, the fury and hatred against sin that was to be poured out on you and me. That was supposed to be us. What does that do for you right now? Just to think of that. That was supposed to be you and me. And as a result, here's the beautiful thing of salvation. Everyone who confesses their sin and puts their faith in Christ alone is saved from the wrath of God. The most terrible wrath that there is. And is no longer an enemy of him. He now keeps us for eternity. And we can live by his power in us. That's good news. That is the greatest news of all time. 2 Corinthians 5.21. You'll see it on the screen. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you say, how could, he, how could he make that transfer? How could God be reconciling us to himself? Well, first off, through our salvation, but here's the second thing, through your justification. Through your justification. Look at the start of verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified. So we've been saved and now been justified by his blood. That word justified there, ready, ready, just keeps getting better. God declares us innocent and removes the punishment of our sins. Not only did Christ's death on the cross grant us salvation and forgiveness for every sin we have done, are doing, or will ever do, that's mind-blowing, but through it, he, trans- he takes it one step further, and he transfers the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us so he can- Literally, when God sees us now, he literally sees the perfect holiness of his son over us and no longer sees our sin. Yeah, that's worth an amen. Let's try that again. Amen. Yeah, completely. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ over you, over me. And to illustrate this, I think I, I was so thankful for this this week when... This was brought to mind. It is right here in this moment, right here. Salvation, justification on the cross that we see the truth of Good Friday. I asked my kids this morning in morning devotions, hey, what's Good Friday? Just tell me in a statement. Say it in a sentence. What's Good Friday? 
And it generated a good discussion. And here's Good Friday summed up right there. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. That's the gospel. And this point right here, right here, that you see salvation, justification, reconciliation, this separates Christianity from literally every other religion there is. You say, well, there's a lot of religions out there. How do I know what God's real? How do I know? Okay, okay, okay. Glad you asked. Next statement. In all false religions, James McDonald said this. I was so encouraged by this. In all false religions, people are called to inflict themselves for sin. And that's bondage. You say, what do I mean inflict myself? Touch the statue. Pay a penance. Maybe cut yourself. Dress a certain way. Eat certain foods. Pray a certain amount of time each day. Inflict yourself to pay for sin. That's bondage. But in Christianity, loved ones, hear this this morning. In Christianity, God inflicts himself to pay for sin. And that is love. He paid the price. Someone needs to hear this today. Stop inflicting yourself. Stop. He inflicted himself to give you his righteousness by putting your faith and trust in him alone. No more bondage. Freedom. Jesus Christ came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. So how will you respond to this truth today? Maybe you're hearing it for the first time or maybe this is the hundredth time you've heard it. But the same question remains. How will you respond in knowing that Jesus Christ loves you and died for you because you cannot save yourself? And as such, he has made a way for you to be reconciled back to him through your salvation, through your justification, to lead you to the only fitting response that we can give. Look at verse 11 right here. More than that, Paul says, as a result of this, we also, here it is, rejoice. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The only fitting response you can give is your worship of him. We rejoice your worship. It's the only fitting response. The appropriate, one commentator put it this way, the appropriate response of the reconciled community is exaltation. If we have been reconciled in Jesus Christ, it is the only appropriate response. And maybe some of you are here and you have never confessed Christ as your Savior. And your first step to worship Him is to recognize the absolute truth of what God's love for you compelled Him to do by sending His only Son to die on that cross for you. That is your first step to the worship of Him and to confess Him as your Lord and Savior to receive the forgiveness of sin that you cannot earn and have a new life in Him. This is where it all starts. That's the first act of worship, and it can start today. 
But the reality is this, as we close. God loves you so much, he's not going to force himself on you. But he is calling you today. And for those of us, I want to speak to you for a second, for those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ already, we could so easily forget living in this. Are you still worshiping, loved ones? Are you still worshiping? Am I in awe and reverence for what Christ has done for us? Are we still worshiping him in awe and reverence for that? Is it really impacting your day-to-day life and your struggle against sin and your, in your parenting? Is it impacting that worshipful response in your marriages? When those fears come, are we still living in that? When that anxiety or doubt hits, are we still giving into that? Are we worshiping in response to this in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in how we spend our money, in the entertainment choices we make? Is it a worshipful response? Are we rejoicing in God through Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. It's, it's all to be directed to him. Or has it become just another familiar fact for you as you forget the eternal magnitude of what drove Christ out of love to give his life for you? Well, one of the ways that we continue to remember and to worship him for this is through remembering his death through the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. And this is such an important thing that we do right now. Communion is a time to remember the death of Jesus Christ and how much he suffered and died so that you and I, loved ones, may receive the forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and new life with him. And the two elements that we use for this are the bread and the juice. And the bread represents his body that was crushed for you and me beyond recognition of a human being, Isaiah says. Should have been us. And the juice represents his blood which was shed for us to forgive our sins, the ones that we have done, are currently doing, or will do, all of it forgiven at the cross of Christ. And as we take in this together, here's the thing, Scripture commands us to examine ourselves. This isn't a light thing, by the way. We're remembering our Savior's death, and so Scripture asks us to examine ourselves 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight and 29 say this. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Layman's terms, this is a big deal to God. And so in these next few moments, church, as these elements are being passed around by our ushers, let's just be still. We live in a world that's just like fast-paced. Go, go, go. Let's be still right now. Just be still before the Lord and ask him to examine our hearts as David prayed in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 where he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart and test my anxious thoughts and see where the offensive ways are in me 
and lead me in the path everlasting. Search me. Will you, will you dare to go there with the Lord today? Because he will. Because he wants to bring freedom into your life today that he sent his son to give. And as the Lord reveals these things, take time to confess and repent them right there, right there. It's the right time in the quietness of your heart, right where you sit. And the, the Lord's Supper is to be remembered by all of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. And so if you're here and you have not done that today and repented of your sin and said, Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner and I need your grace. I cannot save myself. I'm through running. I want to come home to you right now. If you have not said that yet, then I want to speak to you for a moment and say, we are so thankful you're here. You are loved in this place and we are so thankful you are here. And there will be leaders up at the front after. We would love to pray for you about what it means, or talk to anyone with a lanyard you see around you. We would love to talk with you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because that can start today. But these elements aren't for you right now. And so I would ask that you would just let them pass by and come up and talk to one of us afterwards about personal faith in Jesus Christ.